Welcome everyone to the Fisherman's Favorite Podcast. Jace Peterson here with Sam Larson and special guest Will Papenfus, aka Wall I Will, or in the wintertime, sometimes he's called Bluegill Bill, correct? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big transition every year. Um, it's, it's a sad time of year, but it's a fun time of year. You know, we get to do the big switch. It's almost like you go from fishing to hunting. I go from walleyes to bluegills. That's right. Let's get started. There's deer in the meadow, frogs in the pond, a place up the river where the fish are getting long. Bass in the lilies, crappie in the reeds, walleye on the rocks and pike in the weeds. There's a fella down the road who's a real fishing man. Give you a stringer for the frying pan. All right, everyone. So before we hop into the the meat and potatoes of this podcast, we want to let you know a little bit about our cabin kits. Um, So these are some kits Northland's been doing. They are filled with an assortment of tackle. Uh, So right here I got the uh, panfish kits. It's got some bobbers, jigs small crankbaits in there. They are an awesome gift-giving idea this season, uh, whether it's a novice angler, whether it's an experienced angler in your family, it's easy one-stop shop uh, picking up. So we have them available in panfish, bass, and walleye. Uh, and, yeah, it's just kind of a cool cool gift idea for for your family. And I know the guys around here have been doing a little contest with them to see mm-hmm. who can catch, you know, however many fish first on them or the most fish. So, like I said, they work great for a brand-new angler, or a really experienced angler. So that's right. All right, Will. How now, we doing? How we doing? That's how we, right. How we feeling? So I saw I was busy doing Thanksgiving with my f- family, and I see you on the ice. I think you were one of the first people, or first group of people around the, at least the Bemidji area to get on the ice this year. Yeah, I want to say it was just after that. Um, we decided to go run around and just check a couple of small things and. Usually the small little ponds, the little lakes we usually check, um, some of them are wide open. So it uh, was a little um, interesting to find that out. But uh, we just started checking random stuff that, you know, normally we don't check, but can't have a chance to freeze up early. And it's kind of out of the wind, kind of blocked by all the trees. And we found one spot we could get on. We made it out about 30 yards maybe. And the fish were at 50 yards. So we got, we picked off a couple or whatever, and we just could not get where we wanted to go because it was about two and a half, three inches, and you know we're not about swimming. That's right. You know I I don't swim that much in the summer anymore. I don't want to do it in the winter. So, <laughs> and it's been kind of a weird year for the Babinji area. I mean, I can only think of one or two times since I've been up in this area that we haven't had that you know early ice where guys like you are finding ice, but then by, like, the next week, everything's locked up and safe. We kind of had that freeze, and now it's kind of slowed down. Yeah, you know, we get that back-and-forth kind of thing every year, but usually it bears down and locks in, and this year we just, it's gone from cold to warm to cold to warm to mellow to now we're getting another warm stretch this week, and we're, you know, getting into December here, and we're seeing close to 50 degrees across the state, so it's kind of crazy. So, yeah, it's a, definitely an interesting ice year, so make sure you're checking before you go. Um, but there's fishable ice. I've even heard people ice fishing in the cities now already, so it's it's easy to get out there. Well, I know you, you fished one lake, correct, and then you went to a second lake, and you did so- find some fish there. Yeah, we did find a couple. Um, you know, we found, you know, a comfortable four inches on one, and then uh, we went out. The next day after work, a couple of buddies were out, and they're like, yeah, we got like five, six inches. And I was, in my head, I'm like looking out the window, and, and you know, it's like, how do you have five inches ice over there, you know? It's like I was just on four, barely, you know? Yeah. And trying to get around everything else, and I ran out there, and by the time I got there, it was single digits The when I got there and blowing. I still can't feel two of my fingers that much on the tips, but at uh, we caught quite a few fish and then the next day I ended up going out there you know there were seven so I got to rip my wheeler out there yeah you no know, first time got the new wheeler it's like seven inches like I don't care if I catch anything I want to go rip the wheeler on the ice and yeah you know it's just crazy how some little spots that are just out of the wind out of, or in the trees can't get hit by the wind uh, they stay cool and they freeze a lot faster so if you can find those areas early ice those will freeze up earlier and they're usually the safest so it's it, you know we had that big cold spell I think kind of like mid-October, where we got, like I want to say it was almost in the single digits. Yeah. And that water really cooled down, 
and I think got right to around freezing temp. And then we've kind of just shot up around that freezing mark. So I think everything's on the teeter-totter. And when we get those cold nights, it's going quick. It's building nice quick. I know last night, even though we had close to 40s yesterday and 40 again today, I got home in the lake by my house. You could hear popping and screaming yeah. and building some ice. So hopefully we get more temps and, and more ice to fish. So That's right. Yeah. Well, would the, you say... Go ahead. Oh, well, the biggest thing is like, you just need the lake to cap over. Mm-hmm. Like if yeah. you can get a solid, you know, one and a half, two inches that the wind can't break it open, you know, even if it is, you know, upper thirties, mid forties during the day, you're not going to lose it. Usually. Yeah. It just keeps it cool. And then at night it drops, you know, to 20, 23 degrees. She's making ice every night. So yeah. I was going to ask, do you like early ice or late ice better? Cause I've been on a few trips with you late ice too. You it, know how good that can get. It, I do like late ice a lot. Um, thing about early ice, if you can get a little snow on top to break up the noise, you can get on the fish. Those things are chewing. Like, mm-hmm. it's game on if you can get on them. But they're just so spooky. It is so frustrating. And I'm still sitting here with hair, pulling hair out of my head because I've been <laughs> on about seven times. And I had drilled so many holes and walked around. And I'm just about ready to wait because I can't, just can't get on them. You know, you go out and you're getting maybe one to three bites. But when you yeah. mark them, they're coming and just crushing it. So... Late ice is kind of better just because you're not spooking them as bad, but they're still as hungry. Yeah. So this time of year, um, are you finding yourself doing more, you know, camping out on a spot and waiting for fish to roll through versus looking for them? Or are you still looking for them, just trying to be as quiet as possible? Usually trying to see what general area they're hanging in, and then we'll gird out a bunch of holes, and then we'll just sit there and wait because you can chase them around as much as you want. Or even if they start coming close, if you try to move to them, they're going to spook. So you almost just have to gird out a, a section and just, wait and chances are you're going to catch a few more that way and that's just what i've seen the last few years so so uh what are you bringing early ice do you like to keep it simple or do you bring the whole whole shebang out there i i like to bring the whole shebang it just every lake's different so you never know for sure what their mood they're going to be in what the pressure is like so usually I, I'm always going to have a tungsten jig rigged up. That's, you know, it's usually what I use all year long. I'll mix it up with a spoon once in a while. But uh, the other day it seemed that spoons definitely worked a little bit better to catch the bigger ones when they came in, especially when you only get a few chances to get on them. It's almost better to have that bigger profile just to try to pick off a big one because that might be all you get. Yeah. But at least it's going to be a good one. Yeah. Especially now that you got a wheeler. You're going out on that. You can probably bring a little more than when you're just walking. Oh yeah, I have that thing just loaded up with stuff. It, my uh, box I got doesn't even shut because I have so much stuff hanging out of it. But uh, yeah, it definitely helps on not walking. And I started walking a little bit, and I was like, why did I buy a wheeler to just walk everywhere? So I was like, yeah. I'll just go fish the stuff I can drive my wheeler on because this is a lot more fun. Nice. <laughs> so are you loading or? When it comes to house, are you a sled house guy, a hub house guy, or a no house guy? Right now, no house. Um, but once you know you get, if it's like, you know, negative temps or something like that, or where you can actually sit there and wait for them, then I'll bring a house with. But otherwise, if we have to bounce around, you know, we might set up like a hub shack for a warming shack, you know, hop in for a bit and then go back out. But if we're just camping out there, I'll have my sled out there, my one man or, you know, a two man, whatever. But. That's just, you know, I have everything, so. I, I don't think I've ever been fishing with you when we set up a house because we're always bopping around a little bit. It seems like yeah. you're, yeah, I, <laughs> cold don't bother you, you're chasing the fish. Yeah, it, it just, it's a lot of work to set up a house here and there, take it down, take it up. So if it's like, if it's blowing and it's cold out, then I'll set it up. If not, if I can tolerate it, I'm not bringing one, so. What's a, an underrated either rod, lure, some sort of gadget that you bring along early ice that is a necessity for you? Um, I use the early ice. I'll rig up a two pound line yep. just because they're that spooky. And if you can just make it so that you're not dropping down something that might see, they might see it because you're, we're fishing black ice. Like those fish can hear you from a hundred feet away. You know, you see them, you walk over there before you even drop your deuce there. They're a hundred feet away again. Yeah. So if you can have something just thin enough that they're not going to see it, just anything that you can get away with that can give you an advantage. It's just definitely two-pound floral, early ice. And then after a while when they're a little bit deeper and we're only chasing, only catching big ones, then I'll step it up to three or four. But 
Tupon line definitely is a must, I think. Do you think that spookiness is related just to the thin, clear black ice and your presence? Or is it also those fish kind of getting used to having a cap over their head? Because I imagine their environment changes a lot when you go from open water to ice those first first little bit, and they have a little bit of transition time there. Yeah, and it's both, too. It's It seems that right away they, they're even, like, I noticed from when the first couple of times we went out to today when I went out, um, the fish that were a little bit deeper didn't spook as bad, but the ones that are right underneath that, you know, 10 to 15 feet below the ice were definitely spooky yet, but those ones a little bit more towards the bottom weren't as spooky today, so that was, they're kind of starting to come around, and then once we finally get that little bit of snow cover on it, that should be game on. So, For early ice, are you targeting weed fish, basin fish, both? Uh, both, because the thing is, like, you target the weeds, and the way the ice is now, you can drill in the weeds and drill out. I will, I'll watch them. As soon as I drop in the first hole, see them all set up on the weeds and just right off the edge. Yep. And as soon as I grit it out, they are all out in the basin. Like they are spooked running around everywhere else. And then you almost have to wait for them to start slowly making their way back in. And it might be an hour. It might be two hours, you know. It's frustrating, but it's just crazy how much just a little bit of noise will push those fish out to 30, 40 feet of water and just sit there and wait to come right back in. Yep. So they're kind of all over, but it's starting to shape up a little bit. Okay. So are you saying generally you, you target the weeds first early in the year? Yeah. There's still standing weeds. Most of the time, those, the bigger ones will be there. Yeah. Like you'll go out in the basin, there'll be fish there. But most of the time, they're the smaller ones. But those bigger ones are still be hanging out in the weeds. And like, uh, is it, you know, anything that's green or is there certain, you know, are you looking for cabbage, coontail? Is there a certain weed you look for in those situations? Mostly cabbage, but uh, there's plenty of other spots I've fished where it's just... Uh, you know, just milfoil or whatever, you know, just any green weeds I can find just off the edge of them, they seem to be roaming. So anywhere they can find green weeds that's given off oxygen, they're going to be there. So you've talked a lot about watching them and looking at them, and I'm assuming you're using your live scope to do that. Um, I know you are a, a live scope fanatic. You were into it early. At the beginning of kind of the northern territories, it seemed like it was giant and ice fishing, like everyone used it in ice, and now open water it's basically a necessity and i mean guys are still definitely using it in ice but you don't hear as much about it um in the ice as like when it first came you know is is are you taking your live scope every time and leaving it on and running it or do you sometimes switch to a, a flasher once you kind of have those fish dialed in yeah i bring both so i'll just drop my live scope in one hole and i'll bounce around my flasher Every time there's guys that'll still use their live scope, that's all they use. But I like using a flasher just because a lot of those times those bigger bluegills or crappies will sit there and look at your jig forever before they decide to eat, and you get that more separate or that much more separation on a flasher versus yeah. your live scope because you'll sit there like, well, I think I'm on him. What's he doing? On a flasher, I can just see my jig just barely sitting above him, and sometimes just raising it a quarter of an inch. We'll get those fish to bite and you can't really see that on forward facing stuff so if you have your flasher bounce around you can see that nine times out of ten you're going to get more bites that way i i experienced that firsthand with will binoculars versus the microscope <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right i was with him and i think we both had a live unit and i'm fishing with it and not catching as many mm. and will has a live unit but he's also switching back and forth through his you know to his deucer and there was a, I mean, it happened enough times where I just went and watched over his shoulder. I'm like, oh, it's the micro adjustments that's <laughs> yeah. Will, that Will's making. Yeah, it's crazy how just any little any little trick with a jig, too, it's like they like that little bit of a kick right above their nose, that last little second, and then all of a sudden they come up and eat it. It's just, but some days you don't need that. Some days they're aggressive enough that the fish is going to fly up and eat it, but on the days when they're negative and they don't want to come up and crush it, you have to be that precise on it. So, so how are you utilizing live in your ice you know we used to go and just grit out an area which talked about gritting out an area but now it kind of sounds like um you're getting in there finding the fish with live and then gritting out the area is that kind of right yeah so usually we'll get to the spot drill a hole see where they're setting up and we'll try and jump ahead of them okay so we'll usually drill a few holes okay we're gonna drill a few holes here okay this is which way they're going we're gonna go jump ahead or we're gonna jump on the wheeler or we're gonna go take an auger we're gonna jump in front of them and then cut them so that they get pushed back and they come back to our holes and we just go over there and start beating on them. 
But early ice, it's a little bit more tricky because they're spooky. So you have to wait, you know, until they're not as spooky. But it's so effective. Even, like, I'll watch guys come out to the lake and I watch these fish going towards them. And they stand up and start drilling. And I just wait. And I have some, oh, fish are back in my hole again. And <laughs> I just start wailing on them again. So it's just, it's kind of cool. You're almost doing, like, a deer drive mm-hmm. when you're doing it. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. I feel like before live, you really didn't realize why some of the stuff was happening. Um, I know one of the first times I used it, it I feel like it can be a blessing and a curse. I see guys use it, and they chase around the fish so bad that the guys sitting still catch just as many fish as the guys chasing because the fish are moving. But I've also seen it where a school of, you know, one set of bluegills will work like 500 yards down a, a weed line, just keep on going in the the one direction so it's pretty wild how how we can learn of what they're doing when For we sure. used to just go drill a hole and, and like they're not here or they're gone but mm-hmm. it could have just been a little ways away yeah the nice thing is i bring my pistol bit with and i have that on my right side and i'll grab a rod in my flasher and go okay they're at like 40 feet okay this is 40 feet i'll quick punch a hole off my hip quick drop the deucer on get down there quick and try and pick one off so that seems to work really good, too. Getting on them quick before they have mm-hmm. too much time to think about it. Yeah, not go and drill a hole, come all the way back, grab your stuff, and go all the way back. Chances are the fish aren't going to be there. So you almost have to just do a quick hit, drop down, kind of like your nose scoping in, in Call of Duty Black Ops. You know, just <laughs> boom, there it is. You know, you just got to yeah. quick, and it works out. So. It's the fastest I've seen Will move. So, no, Will, there's one at 30, there's one at 30. <laughs> he goes over there, drops his, down, drops his bait down, he's hooked cool. up. And then it's usually get back down there, try to catch another one. But if not, it's hollering back at the guy that's, you know, watching the unit where they go. Maybe that's why Will catches more than all the rest of us. Yeah, it kind of feels like we're, we're launching mortars for the National Guard. It's like, all right, look on the graph. 100 feet this way or, you know, 100 yards yeah. this way, 200 yards this way. Okay, click the button and whoop, there it is. Works pretty good. Now, Will, I've seen, you know, a lot of guys use live live imaging more so in probably basin situations but more times than not i see you using in weed situations do you dial your settings any different than what you do basin wise i might lower the gain a little bit um but the nice thing is is uh, i use it open water all the time through the weeds so i'm you know i'm looking i know what this looks like in the weeds and like this looks like in the weeds so when it comes to ice i can drop down okay i'm looking in the weeds okay just you just sit there and wait and you just watch that little blob moving through the weeds or those couple little ones moving through okay mm-hmm. they're going over this way oh there's there's a pocket there i bet you they're going to fly through that so i quick drill a hole in the pocket and boom here they come so anytime you can find a little pocket in there chances are that's where they're going to come moving through you're the way you use live is kind of to me it's a reminiscence of almost how you troll down a, a weed line in your boat you know you're like you said cutting them off and and doing everything, you're really covering a lot of water that way versus just sitting waiting for them or, you know, pounding one small area. Yeah, I mean, it's it can be a lot of work because a lot of times they'll be moving fast. But if you can just find those, I mean, there's spots where there's just a weed bed right off the basin. Those bigger ones are sitting in there. Okay, here's a pocket, here's a pocket. I mean, you can go drill in the weeds and try to get them to come through the weeds, but those fish are going to move into those pockets, especially on cloudy days. Sunny days, they might sit more in the weeds because there's more predators around. They don't want to be moving around as much. But cloudy days, they'll be moving through those pockets and just moving all over the place. But sunny days, it seems that if you're in the weeds more, it works out better. Do you see any sunny day, cloudy day, the bite, a bite difference? Uh, definitely probably cloudy days more. Um, they're not as, uh, they're more, I should say, they move around more or faster when it's sunny out mm-hmm. just because there's, more they can see more there's more predators around stuff like yeah. that but when it's cloudy they're not as spooky especially when you have snow on the top too or you have more ice then you can get on them a lot better and they don't move around as much and you seem to catch more nice so in our area we have a lot of little small lakes that hold big panfish and then we have some larger like better known lakes um, that kind of have some secret panfish what uh, when you're like looking for new lakes what do you kind of look for um, to find those trophy bluegills and crappies that you always seem to be on? Uh, usually I use the uh, DNR Lake Finder mobile app, and I'll just go to an area that I, you know, maybe haven't fished before or I kind of have just to see what else is there. And then, if you know, a lot of times the ones that don't have a survey or haven't been surveyed in forever usually hold the biggest ones. Yeah. 
but you just never know because it just depends how deep it is because the last few winters we've had a few um, lakes freeze out, you know, a lot of winter kill, but there's a lot of those shallow ones that have springs in them. Yep. So you can go out there and kind of tell when you're walking around if you see spring holes and stuff like that. It's like, okay, I'm going to keep this in the back of my mind. You know, if it, people say that everything's winter kill, they might not go back to that lake because they mm-hmm. think yeah. that they killed. Well, they didn't because there's still springs in there and it's still getting an oxygen. So you kind of got to look for that too. But those um, deeper, smaller lakes definitely hold some big fish. Though. <laughs> but you might go fish three or four of them and not get one. Yeah. Or might not see them. You might go early ice right now. And go to this lake where it's like, well, this one should be good, or I've caught him here before, and you might not see a fish. You might not mark them. And all of a sudden you come back, and you know, in a month, when there's 14, 15 inches of ice and snow, and that whole lake is just full of them. They just come out of the weeds, or they come out of thin air, basically, and they yeah. show up. So it's just, you just never know. You just got to try different times of the year. Don't get frustrated or mad if you don't you don't catch them the first time, because they might be there the next day. Or one day you might go there, and it's sunny, and those fish are moving 800 miles an hour. And it's like, well, where'd they all go? Well, then you go there the next day, it's cloudy, and they're sitting there, and they have, they don't move. Yeah. So it's just time after time, trial and error, you know, just keep on it. Now, we fish a, a mixture of small, you know, slew lakes, but then we also fish a big, expansive lakes. What do you like better? Do you like the small ones, or do you like the big ones that maybe maybe get pressure, but because they're so big, they, they're not apt to, you know, the pressure to hurt them as bad? Yeah, the bigger ones definitely are going to... Um, seem to grow, I would say, bigger ones faster just because there's more room for them to go. There's more bait and stuff like that. I I do like the bigger ones most of the time because I feel like they're overlooked. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I feel like more people now are starting to find those smaller ones and they're getting beat up or that's what they want to go fish because that's where the big ones are. Well, I like to go sneak out on bigger ones once in a while in random spots because they aren't touched and they aren't pressured. And a lot of times you, mo- you might not catch as many. Yeah. But you have a chance at a super giant. Yep. And, you know, the little ones protect themselves by being hard to get into a lot of the times. But now if you can get into them, especially with uh, live sonar, it's pretty easy to dissect them quickly with a group of guys. But like you said, those big lakes can be really sneaky. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of area to dissect, and you kind of got to know what you're looking for. Is there certain things that you target in those big bodies of water? Is it deep water? points yeah like this year more like offshore points um on the weed edges stuff like that and then once we get you know that foot of ice i always say the rules of foot of ice when uh, they start moving towards the basin areas because the weeds start dying off that just seems to be the transition time 12 13 inches probably or so and any little hole off you know off the brake lines any basin areas I mean, even if something like, well, there might be fish there, you know, we'll go there because they probably are. Yeah. You know, don't just think like, oh, you know, it's a big lake. There's no way there's going to be fish there. They're, they're probably there. They might not be right where you drill right away, but they're somewhere around there. They're usually there. You just got to take the time. You might drill all day, but chances are you might stick that one that you want to put up on the wall. So, yeah. And I assume with those bigger lakes, we're not just talking one or two schools either. No, there's probably multiple schools roaming in and out, and I've watched them even just fly up into the weeds, and then all of a sudden, right dark, they either they fly out and you get like a half hour bite, or they fly in and they come up and you have that half hour window. So there's a lot of lakes where you only have that little window, but that's when you're going to hit them. Yeah, and I feel like um, too, like you're talking about, though you know if it looks like a good spot, fish are going to be there, especially you know with predator fish. I know. The big fish always find those key areas. Like they're at the top of the food chain. They're going to be set up on that, right on that point or whatever. Do you notice that with like the bigger uh, panfish too, finding those primary areas? Like do they key in on that more than kind of the little eaters and the runts of the group? Yeah, it, it seems that the bigger ones will be roaming up a little bit higher too. So like in the water columns, so like the smaller ones might be, you know, within a foot to five feet or foot to four feet of the bottom. And then all of a sudden you have that one school that's 10 to 15 feet below the ice when you're, you know, you're, say you're in 30 feet of water, those fish are at 15 feet. Yep. And they're just cruising around and you, you see pike cruising around and stuff like that. And as soon as that pike leaves, here come those big ones right again. They never really leave. But it always seems that the bigger ones will be sitting up higher once they move to those basin areas. Are you talking bluegills and crappies or yeah. just bluegills? Both. Yeah. Seems to be both. Yeah. Schooled together or different? Uh, usually, part, usually say. the bigger ones, it seems that, um, they're almost schooled 
by themselves, but each lake's different. Yeah. So you really never know, but it just seems like you'll find that big school of panfish, and you'll get those bigger ones that are a little higher, and then all of a sudden you have a couple, two, three marks above, just above them, and it's like, oh, those are probably big bluegills, and also, boom, 14-inch crappie, 15-inch crappie. It's like, well, well, are they roaming together? No, they're just going over the top of each other, basically, it seems like. So So one thing that I've, I've seen fishing with you is sometimes the biggest gills probably more so gills and crappies but the biggest gills are either singles doubles or triples mm-hmm. one one to threes yeah every time and will starts getting excited when he starts only seeing one or two yeah because they might one. they might be harder to get but you just know that that's that's the one you want for sure yep. i've been with will or you know look around with live or we just put the deucer down. It's like, oh, there's four or five. Will doesn't even blink an eye at those ones. He's like, no, you can have those. I'll go to those over <laughs> yeah, there. You, you, there's two. You go, yeah, yeah, go get those ones. Go get those ones. And I was pounding. What are you drilling over there for? Oh, no reason. <laughs> Ten-incher. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, don't worry about that one. That's right. Uh, so, so are you, change, you know, chasing after trophies like that? Are you changing your presentations at all as far as, you know, using a little bigger spoon sometimes, maybe micro light stuff like you're talking earlier because those fish have been around the block? Yeah, it, it kind of depends. Um, most of the time, I'd say 75, 80% of the time, I'm just going to use a tungsten jig okay. just because the big ones are so finicky most of the time. And, you know, you'll still catch the little ones here and there, but if you can get those big ones in when they're, especially like the one when the singles come in, you have about a 50-50 shot that that thing's even going to eat. So if I can, a lot of times they'll just come up and barely peck the thing. So if you have a spoon, you know, you almost have to work a little more aggressive and you might get them to bite. But usually if, or they might peck it or peck a wax worm off your treble or whatever. But if you can drop a tungsten down there and they just barely breathe on it, especially with that flat fry jig, the way the hook is, when they barely breathe on that thing, you just lift it and they have it and you can pin them a lot easier that way. So it's almost like a 75% better hook a percentage with the tungsten jig when you get a big one. Plastics, waxies, or spikes, or combination, depending on the day? I, I like waxies. I'm a waxy man through and through. I, I've, I use plastics when we're just going out to beat on them, basically. You know, we don't care if whatever. But it just seems that those big ones really love a wax from over anything else. To me. Anyways, guys will say, well, you know, I can only catch them on spikes. Well, yeah, that just might be a confidence thing, honestly. But that's what I want to use, and that's what I've caught the majority on them, and that's what I'm going to stick with. One thing that you just mentioned was you have one breathing on it, and you lift. That was one thing that I, one of the first times I fished with you, panfish-wise, was your hook set. You don't drill them whatsoever. No, I just lift, and then they almost hook themselves. Yeah. Especially when you hook bigger crappies, when they barely breathe on that paper-thin mouth. A lot of times you set the hook, you might wear a hole in that fish's lip. So when that thing comes up to the hole, and you get it, all of a sudden it turns away, it might just fly off. So if you just lift, you have less wear on that fish's mouth and you can get them in a lot easier. Light line, small hook. It doesn't, it doesn't take that much to. No, you don't, you don't want to, you know, set the hook like Kevin Van Dam, you know, with <laughs> two pound line, that thing's just going to snap instantly. So. Um, how about, how about forage? Do you ever find, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of bug eaters out there, but I, I've noticed some lakes seem to be more like minnow eaters. Like, is that when you switch to a bigger presentation or even like some lakes, I still love soaking the bobber and a fathead for crappies. And it seems mm-hmm. like that gets a bit more than a, a little tungsten. Yeah. And there's times you'll watch um, on certain lakes too, and there'll be schools of shiners and you'll see them on your graph too. When they come through, they're super flickery. And you're like, oh, here comes a big school of fish. And they're like, I don't know, they're just acting weird. They don't move all well. nine times out of 10 to shiners or, you know, any kind of other bait fish. So that a lot of times I drop down uh, just a buckshot. I mean, when I was going to high school and stuff, fish up here before they started getting, you know, pressure, they just, all we did was drop a buckshot full yeah. of, even a plain buckshot without anything on it, and they mm-hmm. come up and just smoke it. But you'd see that school of shiners come through, like, okay, all of a sudden they start fading away. All of a sudden, here comes a school of big ones, and they just start plucking them off. So it's just, if you can find the ones that are chasing that, then you could switch up to it, and then you might get a bigger one. Because I'll use even a bigger, like, ripping shad, like, and a lot of times they love that little rip and chat over everything else too. And you can sit it above that school and try to get those bigger ones out of it. And you'll sit there and you'll just barely shake that tail coming up and down. And that school is sitting about an inch below and you're just like, really? They're not even going to come look at it. All of a sudden the biggest one in the school comes up and just slacks lines <laughs> it. And it's like, oh, 
And you might only get one bite. You might not get bit at all. But yeah. a lot of times you can get that 15-incher out of a school of 13s and 14s. So just mess around a little bit. And that's mostly kind of what you're seeing off the graph. Like if you're seeing bait on the graph, that's when you kind of change up to that presentation. Not necessarily something you find in the lake finder that's going to say, oh, this is a more of a minnow bite mm-hmm. than a bug bite. Yeah. yeah. You can definitely tell. And then the night if you see bugs start coming up, stuff like that, they're mostly bug eaters. Maybe you got to, you know, you can only use smaller stuff. But if you see those fish out in the basin chasing minnows, well, you know, you might be able to get away with a little bit bigger. So, yeah. How about the, uh, the bug deal. So I know when I first moved up to Bemidji, seems like when the bugs came out, the fish moved away and stopped biting. But the introduction of better live sonar, you can now see through those bugs. And I know some guys are staying out there and catching fish through the bugs. Um, are, do you find yourself doing that a lot, staying late at night and, and getting into the bugs? Yeah, I did that the other night, actually, and ended up uh, leaving my rod box on the lake. And thanks to Zach Happa for returning that to me the next day that I didn't know I lost my rod box till he called me. But uh, I was out, and I could see them. And they were still somewhat spooky. So, like, you would just see them. They weren't super schooled up, but they were just singles, like laid out every probably five feet and just sitting right above the bugs, just sitting there. So I was like, okay, I put a glow jig down and, you know, try to get on top of one, and all of a sudden you get on top of one, drop it down, it would just sit there, sit there. All of a sudden, boom, your rod was just bent out of nowhere. I was like, huh, okay. So let's try that, you know, bounce around. Okay, let's try to see if we can drill on this one. Nope, try this one. Oh, it didn't move yet. Drop back down, seize it, boom, instantly. So it was just, you just had to get on one pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was thinking about it because years ago, and when I was in high school, we were used to just shoot carp all the time. Yeah. So we put the lights on the front of the pontoon or the boat and just go ripping around, you know, looking for carp. And you just see all these panfish just sitting there. Like, they weren't schooled up, but they were just simultaneously, like, just lined up every five to ten feet. Yeah. And not moving. Just sitting there. Like, didn't move. You could drop whatever. They just sat there. I was like, huh. So maybe they aren't super spooky and nice so maybe we could sneak up on a couple you know and yeah you know you leave the lake well we aren't marking any well yeah because they're not moving so if you can drill on top of them and get in the mark and get them to see a glow jig you could pick them off yeah. and it seemed like the smaller ones were more kind of hiding towards the bottom mm-hmm. but those bigger ones are still sitting there suspended just not moving so you might not get them to eat you might get them to look at it or they'll get spooked you might drop a one and it'll take off but if you can find one that doesn't, all of a sudden he just smokes it. And it seems you get your bigger ones doing that too. How long was it taking for one to bite? About probably anywhere from five seconds to two minutes. So it just depends if you saw it or how hungry he was. But yeah. every one was a good one that I got to go. So How close do you, would you have to get to those fish? Like right on their head? Yeah. Or within a... Pretty much right in their head. And a lot of times they'll sit there and look at it and it's like, well, maybe he didn't see it. You drop it below him a little bit. And then you raise it right back up on top. All of a sudden they come up and they see it and they eat it. So it's just trying to get them to see it. And then once they see it, then slow it down. Or even just holding it right above their head so that jig isn't moving. So that light or the glow off the jig is just sitting there. It's not like a silhouette moving. It's just solid. They seem to see it better. Hmm. Then start moving it once they're engaged. Breakfast in bed versus going up to the kitchen to get a snack. Exactly. You're going (laughs) to eat it if it's sitting right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like putting a slab of ribs in front of you versus, you know, on the counter. It's like, ah, you know, I'm kind of watching the show. I don't want to get up versus right in front of you. I'm like, oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. So when you when we're talking about, you know, those those minnow bites, you're talking about a sizable rip and chat or a buckshot. Do you like to go with the forage base color or will you go out of the norm and go something crazy? Um, I like using during when it's sunny out. I like using any kind of. Uh, more natural like a brown or a black or something like that mm-hmm. um when it's cloudy or you know at night i'm going to use like white or pink or green something that stands out it seems to work better it's good to live by <laughs> yeah um so that brings us into like you're talking about glow um so we got our new super glow uh colors that we did and basically what we did for that is didn't said we don't care what it costs we'll put the best glow paint on it and that new super glow uh we got it available in the um it's in all of the colors now but uh we added four new colors into the gilgetter and mud bug we got that blue wonder bread uh purple wonder i think a regular wonder bread and then a sneeze color yep. in there um 
And, yeah, it's just significantly longer laster, lasting, brighter glow. What do you use to charge up your glow lures? Uh, I like using UV lights yeah. when I have it. Nine times out of ten, I don't have it. It's probably just your phone. <laughs> so, it's yeah, usually it's my phone sitting in my flasher case, and I'm sitting there holding it while I'm blinding myself trying to get it to light up. And usually it takes, like, three to four minutes to get that thing lit up that it would in five seconds with, with the UV, UV light. Yeah. So pack a UV light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> UV is the best way to charge them, but it's it, uh, glow is kind of like a battery. Like what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. So natural sunlight charges them the best, but often you don't need that when you got a lot of natural sunlight. Uh, UV and then regular flashlights will, will do it. Yeah, bring a UV light. Just keep it in your, keep it in your bib pocket. And then you'll remember it. How about uh, some of those Wonder Bread colors? Wonder Bread's been kind of like taking the ice world by storm the last few years. Every time we come out with a Wonder Bread, people just like clear the peg out. Are you a big Wonder Bread guy or do you kind of like more of those natural looks? I do like Wonder Bread. The thing is like white has probably been just a, you know, it's a really good color. Like white's super good even when it's, you know, any body water you go to. But I feel like the Wonder Bread kind of breaks up that white a little bit and gives it just a little bit different look. So it almost gives it more of a natural look sometimes down in the water versus just a straight white. So it almost just works any time of the year, any body of water. It just kind of makes it look almost more natural, even though it doesn't look natural. Yeah, and I think, too, the the dots give you those target points. Um, so fish key in on eyeballs and heads of lures, and I think the more of that interest you get, I think that that's why I really like Wonder Bread. And I, I agree with you because I'm a big, I, I like the sneeze because I think that chartreuse sides, um, although chartreuse is bright, there's a lot of little hints of chartreuse in the fishing world. And then you put all those eyeballs on it mm. and it, it seems to get bit. Yeah, it almost is like a, just a different version of Wonder Bread. Yeah. It almost yeah. takes the bright and it just breaks up, just gives it a little different. Yeah. So it's just, it's crazy. It's your cloudy slash... Dirty water, Wonder Bread. Yeah, that's the, I can't catch anything else or on anything. I'm throwing that down. Yeah. And also, boom, you get one. It's like, God, <laughs> oh, why didn't I just throw it down? You know, God. There was people at the, we were just recently at the St. Paul Ice Show, right? And there was someone that came up to me and was asking about Wonder Bread and, you know, how how it's become so popular. And I was like, yeah, it obviously catches them because, you know, we've all used it and it works, but it's a good, you guys just described it pretty good about, what it really looks like it breaks up yeah. that, that you know that white even like for bass like uh i found this out with some of the bass crankbaits that kind of overlap in the northland line where i was just like had one of the rumble series designed for walleye mm-hmm. sneeze yeah and it was just i wanted something with chartreuse sides and it was the only one in my box and previous to that i would be like no way in a, in a tournament no way would i throw yeah sneeze but sneeze has become one of my favorite bass colors like we have to try that out it's, it's wild looking but they, <laughs> they still right eat down. it right i was down. i was kind of surprised but like they cracked it one of the best baits i ever had on that lake was mm. sneeze color so and what lake was that again <laughs> little kayak lake kayak lake got it okay <laughs> well back to bluegills and panfish crappies perch whatever what's the craziest bite you've ever been on I've seen uh, some photos of you with some big ones before, but what's the what's your number one story? The crazy, probably the craziest ice bite that I was on was again back in high school. Mm-hmm. That was probably I think a sophomore or junior, and we came up here to fish with my cousin, and I had a quarter ounce buckshot with no bait, and these crappies were three feet under the ice. And how how deep water? Twenty, and I would literally like. Like, this is before, you know, I had an FL8 on bounce around, you know, and I just yeah. dropped my bait down to, like, three, four feet, and my screen would light up like a Christmas tree, and before I could say, here they come, I was already hooked up. And I had brought my brother with who doesn't fish a whole lot, yeah. but I was like, all right, I'd catch one. He's like, I'm like, quick, drop your bait down. He's like, how far? I'm like, stop, set the hook. What? <laughs> just the bait stopped as soon as he was dropping down. Jeez. And I get back down, I start dropping my line. I wouldn't even look at the graph. Yeah. Because, like, I look, oh, they're still okay. I just look, wait. Like, I mean, you just lowered it. Mm. I mean, it was, they were like, and they're all like 13 to 15 inches. Wow. And we did that for probably two hours straight. And it was, that was probably the craziest bite I've ever seen. I've never seen it like that since. I was going to say, why haven't we been back there? <laughs> because they 
got beat on a little too hard. I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, was that like a late ice deal with them or just? No, that was probably, well, there's probably enough to drive a wheeler on, I think. Okay. So like early, fairly early then. Why? why uh, I would, uh, hold on, let me think. No, we drove, we drove to the axis, but we couldn't get around the, the current. So there's probably foot, I'd say. Narrowing down the lake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's got a river around it with some trees. There's some, there might be some weeds out there too. Well, it's like, I've been back. You don't need to check it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I've seen that too, where those panfish get like way up close to the ice. Do you, do you know the rhyme or reason why they, they do that? I know late in the winter, sometimes they're searching for oxygen mm. up there, but I, I've seen it all the time, and obviously you have too. Yeah, and this reverts back to where they were. These fish are chasing, you know, schools of bait that were Hi. sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that's what they were doing. For as yeah. fast they were moving as hard as they were hitting it, they were chasing chasing big minnows. You think they're using the ice to, you know, use it as like ambush a ambush point? Because like a lot of times you'll watch crap in the summer. You'll watch crappies come up and they'll, they're surfacing. You know, yeah. they're eating bugs. Yeah. They're also you'll, they're eating shiners and stuff like that. Well, that's makes it a lot easier for them to eat when those shatters can't move on top of the water or stuff. They can ambush right up on top. It's wild. That is wild. It's making me excited. I know. I haven't been out yet. What about your biggest panfish? Biggest bluegill? Biggest crappie? Uh, the biggest bluegill. Um, I, when I was younger, I know we caught a couple on a private lake. You know, I don't really count that, but that was like, we had a couple that were like, 12s i think we had like a 13 one day or something but you know that was back before everything got um beat on and everything else but since then it's been i think is they were there 11 and a half or 11 and three quarter and i went out the one day we went out there the day before caught some 14 15 inch crappies and stuff like that on a lake that we usually don't catch those on you know we don't really fish it that much it's you know you go there you might catch a walleye or a dogfish or a sucker or something you know ice fishing you know because it's like just one of those weird lakes and for some reason, we had a warm stretch in January. It was like 30-some degrees, 40 degrees. And the panfish just all of a sudden came out of nowhere, and we're just going nuts. Mm. So I was like, I got to take advantage of it. So I skipped class that next morning. I skipped three classes that next morning. But <laughs> sorry, Mom. Uh, I went out, and uh, I just dropped my, drove my truck, dropped my rod down, or dropped my line down. And I had one school of fish that I marked in three hours. I came through. I caught five rock bass. I caught five crappies and I caught three bluegills. The bluegills were 10, 10 and a half, and it was either 11 and a half, 11 and three quarters. I didn't get a great measurement, but it yeah. was somewhere in there and it got stuck in the hole. The last Eight time I had, yeah, the last time I got one stuck in the hole, it was pushing 12, like, or not pushing to, but it was like, yeah, a real one, you yeah. know, back, like we caught them back in the day or whatever. Yeah. And I reached down, I grabbed it, and I just felt, the nose like hit right here on my, I felt the tail like down here. I'm like, oh, this must just be a big crappie. And it came out and I saw it and I put it on ice and I almost threw up. I just Jeez. dropped it. And I was like, I was like looking around. I'm like, did, that, did anybody just, 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 just see that one? Like, I was like trying to measure it the best I could on my rod. And I'm like, cause I had no tape measure, of course, cause I forget everything. Yeah. And I just, I set it down and I was just sitting there. I couldn't even fish. Couldn't, put, couldn't pick up my rod. I just sat in the truck, just sitting there like, what was that? Yeah. And I never saw that school again, and I've been back like 29 times, and I've never run into that school again. Were all those fish mixed together? Yes. The rock bass, too? Yeah. Five rock bass, five crappies, and three sunfish. Mm-hmm. The same slide. Yeah. I'm like waiting for like a dogfish or something to come after that, or a sucker or something weird, or a whitey or something. But yeah. I've never found that school again, and they've never done that same thing on that lake again. Mm-hmm. So it's just one fluke day where it was like, here you go. Yeah. Uh, do you have do you have aspirations for a a giant? Like, do you have a goal that you want to hit for? Because like, you're talking, well, eleven, twelves, like that's a mega stud for a bluegill. Yeah. Um, I think like anything over ten, like you you had it in your, in your hand and you're like, oh god, this thing must be huge, and then you put it on. You know, I've had ones that are like nine that you put on the that are you're big. Like, oh my gosh! So I can't. You know, getting into that twelve and thirteen. That's yeah, mega like mega giant. A ten incher is a big fish. Yeah. It's like a twenty year old fish. Yeah. It's a giant. A ten incher is a giant. But those, there's only a few lakes around now that grow those super megas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
goal is I would like to catch a 12-incher, legit, like, 12-incher, like, not, yeah, we caught caught him that big when I was younger, like, cool, whatever, but I want one now that, because, like, if you catch one now, it's, like, retirement, you know, it's, like, a 34-inch walleye kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're out there. There's 34-inch walleyes out there. That's one thing that I've seen with Will is he's not afraid to not catch any. Yeah. There's been a couple times where we've gone on big fish missions, more so walleyes than than bluegill missions, but your main goal is to catch a, a giant. I want one bite. Yeah. One bite. And you're perfectly fine with that, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool because most people, they want to go, you know, stretch the line. They want to go catch a couple. Yeah. But Will's, Will is willing to go out there, fish for hours, and only get one bite, if not zero bites, and he's perfectly fine with it. You're musky fishing for him, basically. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in nowadays, too, like that's your shot for your mega mega giant because those are the ones that protect themselves again like if it's not a known lake you know <laughs> a lake that you're whacking tens out of mm. every time you go gets found out about at town pretty quickly and mm. and doesn't last too long but those lakes that have those sneaky little bites in there they protect themselves mm-hmm. uh let's talk about jigs a little bit so um, in the Northland lineup, we kind of have three main tungsten jigs. We have the gill getter, the mud bug, uh, and then the flat fry. So we'll run down kind of the difference between all of them, and then we'll maybe talk to you about why you like those differences and maybe where you use one versus the other. Um, but to start with, we got the mud bug and the gill getter, and Bro kind of helped us design those years and years ago in the lead version, and then two or three years ago now we brought those into tungsten um and one of the reasons especially people up in bug country up here the mud basin lakes like those is they hang at an angle so the hook's always going to be hanging tail down so when a panfish feeds up you're always going to get that hook sight in first you know you sometimes watch panfish on a camera especially little ones will come and bite the head a lot of times and you won't get a hook in them so uh, that's the reason that has that design but on the flip side of that more pressured waters, we're finding out that sometimes that 90-degree uh, angle is super important. Those fish want that bait hanging horizontal, more like a minnow and whatnot. So that's why we developed the flat fry, because it hangs flat like that. Um, those two, do you have a time that you prefer one or the other, or have you gone to to one versus the other at all times now? Um I like, so like the mud bug, the tungsten mud bug, I used the lead version when I was younger. That's what we used to catch everything on. That's what I've caught, you know, my biggest one on when I was younger, and that's what we used to use all the time. And the nice thing is, is like deeper water stuff. I like using the mud bug or the gill getter just because it shows up better on my flasher mm-hmm. compared to the flat fry. I mean, the flat fry does show up really good yep. too, especially on forward, but it seems like I can get down there a lot faster with those. And shallow water stuff that flat fry has almost like a kick to it when i'm jigging it especially when they're a little bit more finicky i like that kick a little more so if a I a little can, more swimming action yeah. yeah so that's when i'll use that one yeah and yeah because it again it hangs flat like that so it, it hangs flat it's got flat sides on it but yeah you get a little more action about that and that's kind of the difference between the gill getter and the mud bug too the mud bug's kind of a bowling ball get down there pound around it's just kind of up and down and the gill getter has a little bit more flat of a body so it has a little bit of that swimming action but yeah the the flat fry has even more of that i was gonna say i figured you'd like the flat fry for all instances because you don't jig up above the fish's face as much as other people i feel like i feel like i'll just have them you know race up mm-hmm. that's where i like the mud the mud, mud bug yeah. and the gill getter is because it seems like they're coming up farther but when i've seen will catch his giants that he has a lot of time it's just like moving it just yeah. a little tiny bit yeah and i have a so for my live scope setup i have a 126 on my fin gear shuttle with the 34 but my flasher is a little out of date and it doesn't pick up my jigs super well mm-hmm. so sometimes i have to have something that shows up a little bit better out deep yep. on going down doing forward it's a you know i can still see it from a while away but going straight down sometimes that that mud bug shows up a little bit better yep one thing I want you to touch on, Sam, because you helped develop these jigs, is hook gap with these small tungsten jigs. Yeah. I know both of them have mud bug, well, all three, mud bug, gill getter, and flat fry, have a sizable hook gap where um, other ting- tungsten jigs on the market might 
not be able to get, you know, yep. that gap like ours do. Yep. So when when Bro and John developed uh, the mud bug and the gill getter years ago, it was designed around a steelhead hook yep. because, again, it's for how small it is, it's got decent hook gap. Um, it's a light wire hook, but it's a fairly strong hook. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that works perfectly in that situation. There was something already done, um, and back in the day, that's kind of what you had to do. Um, now the size Northland is and the connections we have, um, we can go to a brand like Mustad and say, hey, we want to design a special hook. So when we did the flat fry, um, it's we, we, made, we put a custom hook in it. Um, it's got a little longer shank length to work better than plastics than a lot of the jigs you see out there. And again, it's it's got that short neck mm-hmm. and a, a fairly wide gap hook for an ice lure with a, sh- a shank length yep. that long. So you get that shank a little bit farther back. Um, I think with plastics, it makes a really, really nice presentation. Yep. Um, it looks right. The hook's exactly where I want it to sit. Um, then we got the flat back on it, so yep. that plastic butts right up. Flat back. Side. Yep, butts plastics up, so it makes that really nice finessey presentation. But like Will said, if you're fishing waxies, that longer hook shank too, you can load two or three waxies on there, yeah, no problem. And are you a one waxy guy or two waxy guy, Will? I'm a one waxy, thread it on, put some meat on there, so cover you, up the hook. You do like to thread it on though, yeah. So you got your waxy on and you put it on pretty. So. Sometimes depends how cold it is. Sometimes <laughs> I just how many fish are below you. <laughs> <laughs> that big one's still sitting on there. I'm throw, trying just to get it on there and yeah. throwing it down. So, but if you can cover up that hook as much as you can, it helps. You think it helps just because they can see it and pick it out? I think sometimes they can, um, especially if it's sunny out. That little bit of light might be hitting that hook or something. It might shine a little bit. They might just not know exactly what they're looking at. They're like, I don't know, but. Yeah. You cover it up a lot. It helps like sixty percent of the time. What's on your agenda next? You going panfish fishing or you going walleye fishing? Probably walleyes till we get some snow. Yeah, because I'm sick of drilling a lot of holes. Tired of spooking fish. Spooking fish are hundred feet away where I just walked a hundred feet, and yeah, yeah, I'm getting lazy now. Make what? a trip up to Red around here, yeah, we're, Lake we're, Bemidji. It's been a while since I've been to Red. You know, otherwise I might go try and get a uni unicorn. Oh, yeah. And just wait for that, you know, that one bite, you know. In the winter, it's about not near as good as it would be in the summer for that one bite, but you always have that chance. That's right. So, why not? What, what kind of stuff do you look for early ice walleyes? Um, shallow little bays. They like to roam into the, or right off the edge of the weeds there where they were just setting up for uh, for the fall. Chances are they're usually still there. Um, any mid-lake humps that haven't been touched, like close, Usually once the first person to hit like a random hump just off a of shore or something like that, chances are those fish, you're going to have the best bite of all, all winter because they haven't been touched yet. Yeah. So. Do you use your fall, your fall fishing, does that correlate right to your winter, your, you know, your early ice fishing? Yeah, 100%. So just off the weed lines, you know, clo- or first hump right off a of shore, you know, mid-lake stuff might have a few still too, but uh, most of those fish are still just coming right off the weed line yet from fall so that's exciting because i was with will and he caught a giant this fall i think so i know, know where, where he, he, i think i know where he Maybe wants to go back to yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was another one of those nights that it was got out there about three four hours in it's getting dark like geez well how, how long are we gonna stay out here like last cast I don't know. It, it was our last cast we're, because we're just we're just bu- i was just about to pull the trail motor i grabbed the cord and I looked at the time, and if anybody follows, like, the major, minor, you know, moonrise, moonfall, you, if you don't, you might want to pay attention to it because that's usually when you're going to get your biggest fish. And the minor was over at, like, I think, was it 8.46, I think it was? And it was 8.44. And we caught, like, a 15-incher and, like, a 20-incher or something. I was, like, just about to pull up. I'm, like, we got two minutes. Let's make one quick pass. I turned around. Saw one, pitched at it, it chased it. I'm like, oh, my God, we might get one. You know, I was looking, looking. There's one more big one I threw out. Missed it, and I was like, I almost freaked out. But I was like, no, no, just wait, just wait. Came back and hit it again. And it's sitting there thrashing on the surface. I'm like, oh, we got a muskie. You know, it's sitting there thrashing. It's got itself wrapped it's up. It's pitch like, dark by now. Yeah, it's pitch dark. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, whatever. I'm like, ah, get the big net, Jace. It's probably a muskie or whatever. And it comes up unwraps itself and i just saw the big white tail as it took off and i'm like 
oh my god, oh, oh, and just like, what's going on? I'm like, it's a 30. It's a 30. What? I'm like, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a grab, grab the other net. It's a, it's, a, it's a 30. I'm like freaking out, you know, come on, come on. And I'm like, all right, you hold the light. I'll have, I'll grab the net. And I'm like trying to net this thing as it's taking drag. And I get the tail. And I'm like, ah, I can't get it. And then Jay's like, give, give me the net. So I grab, he grabs the net. I quick crank, grab the light and he scoops it. And this thing hits a deck. And I just went, what is that? Like it, it usually you get like, you know, this, a decent fish, you know, that's like, like, you know, seven, eight pounder, which is a, a big one around yeah. us too. And it's like, oh, you know, but this thing was just twice that. I'm like, is this like a 33 or 34, like a unicorn? Like, I, I think I just did it. Like, I'm about to retire from walleye fishing forever. Like, this is this is about as good as it gets. This, you know, I'll never catch one like this. Go lay it on the ruler right at 30. And I'm like, ha. Like, measured it like 18 times. Yeah, we measured just, it quite a few times. <laughs> I'm like, what? What the heck? And it was just a... I think it was ten four seven. Just built fish. Yeah. Just that's the heaviest fish I'd ever caught, and it happened. It I hooked it a minute before the miner ended. I was like, these fish are gonna go right at the end if they, if I get if we get one. That's why I made one. I just like gotta make one more pass, and you got a thirty got a thirty incher. It's ten and a half pounds. That's one thing that I I never. You know, you hear about it all the time, musky yeah. fishing, right? Yeah, the musky guys like live and die but, by it the more I've spent time with Will, Will really pays attention to it. And that was, I think probably wasn't the first time, but that was the first time it, I was like, it, you know, it really made sense. Mm -hmm. Fished all that time. And then the last minute Will catches this giant and then, yeah, we never did take another cast. Cause we're like, we're, we're done. That's it. That's all yeah, right. Game over. Let's go home. <laughs> yeah. But that makes me want to go. And, uh, while I fish that now, just because of, you know, if, if it, the fall correlates with the early ice time, that, that lake should be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'd be right there, I bet. Yeah. Do you relate that major minor stuff to any of your pan fishing at all? Mm-hmm. Interesting. That, that works. Just try it sometime. Try it sometime. See what happens. Okay. I'm going to have to start paying attention to it. <laughs> so. Uh, so one thing Minnesota's doing is they have a lot of uh, special panfish regulation lakes, and I know I'm kind of seeing – bigger and bigger fish in those systems is that something you look for yeah um i think there was like 35 lakes or somewhere around there that they changed to five bluegills five crappies or they lowered it from 20 to 10 or you know in either or and it's really cool to see you know there's some lakes that you know that might not necessarily need that so they did it on certain lakes that have the chance to grow those big ones where they can it can still sustain everything else within the lake so it's kind of cool you know there's some lakes that you know that might need to be, you know, necessarily like cleaned out they, you, per se. So where there's way too many eight-inch bluegills, seven-inch bluegills, where you know maybe a guy should go keep a few of those. Mm -hmm. But there's certain lakes that have that potential to grow those big ones that you want to keep those big ones in there because the majority of them are eight to ten inches, and they have a chance to you know to get to that eleven, you know maybe even twelve-inch range one day. So it's kind of cool that um, things are starting to get to more catch and release. Uh, a lot more guys I talk to are starting to throw those bigger ones back, which is really cool to see. And I know in the last three or four years, the size of the crappies and bluegills around here have gone up, you know, by even an inch yeah. on some lakes. So it's kind of, you know, lakes you're only catching 11 to 12-inch crappies, you're starting to see more of those 13, 14s pop up. And those lakes that you'd catch those 13, 14s are starting to have those 15s, potentially 16s in them. So it's really cool going back to some of these lakes that haven't even been touched in a while, even two that have been growing. So. Yeah. That fishing pressure is definitely a thing, whether it's the special regulation lakes or, like you said, we've had such a hard snowfall the last, like, three years. It's been tricky to get into a lot of those lakes, and they've had some room to grow. So, yeah, releasing fish, being careful about lakes, not hitting them too hard is definitely important. Do you, do you look into those regulations? Is that a factor when you're trying to figure out, you know, the lakes that might have a, a super turbo in it or something like that? Oh, 100%. There's some lakes on there that you know, you thought maybe might have some big ones or you'd heard about that you see that they were lowered. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, maybe we should go try that, you know, and lo and behold, there they are. Boom. Yeah. So. Yep. Makes me want to go ice fishing. We should probably go. <laughs> so right now, truck's right <laughs> over front. That's right. Well, well, thanks for coming on the show here. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners um, how they can find your social media, all that, that stuff. 
Yeah, you can go on Instagram. It's Walleye Will Fishing. Um, Facebook, just Will Papenfoos or I Crazy Guide Service. Um, I guide quite a bit in the summer. Also do a little bit in the ice. So if anybody wants to go, you can look me up on there. So thanks again for everyone listening all the way through the end. Uh, remember to check out our new cabin kits we got. A great gift-giving opportunity this winter. And, uh, yeah, tight lines. Thanks, Will. Yeah, you bet, guys. Fish and tackle. Fisherman's favorite. It's a fisherman's favorite.